0: Good morning. My name's Gay and I'm an alcoholic. Amen. My sobriety date is October the 23rd, 1985 and for that I'm truly grateful. I'll uh, tell you a little bit about how I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. I, um, I was uh, born in San Antonio but I was uh, raised in Fredericksburg and uh, my parents were very much in love with each other and uh, got married and had a baby. And they'd been married not too long and had this child, you know, I think he was about two years old at the time. And they went to a restaurant, so got to dinner to get something to eat and... Uh, and the... am um, like, excuse me, I'm nervous. <laughs> and the little boy uh, followed some other kids out of the restaurant and was hit by a car. My parents uh, left the restaurant, you know, they when he was missing to find him, and they found him with his head wedged between the curb of a car and a car tire, I mean, the, the curb and the car tire. They picked him up, and they uh, put him in an ambulance, and the siren was going, and they drove 20 miles to the nearest hospital, where he was pronounced dead on arrival. I uh, share that because it was kind of set the stage for the family that I grew up in, there seemed to be this undertow of, like, sadness going on. And um, my parents, uh, you know, wanted another child, but they were kind of hoping it wouldn't be a boy. They wanted a, a, a little girl, you know, because they didn't want to make the comparison, you know, with the child that had just died. So they had, uh, they had a little girl named Joy, and uh, then they had me named Gay. And then they had a boy and they named him Happy, Joy, Gay and Happy. <laughs> That's
1: not a true story. <laughs>
0: my sister's name is Joy, my name is is Gay, but my my brother's name is Not Happy. <laughs> um You know, I uh, in this in this uh, family, you know, like I said, there was this undertow of sadness that was going on, and I really didn't know, you know, what to contribute that to. Although I was little, and you can't you don't know how to make sense. The family laughed a lot, but there was always this sadness going on, and and I just couldn't quite figure it out. My father also was a very angry man, and um, he he was very critical you know he told me things like that I was stupid and lazy and and um, things that hurt my feelings you know and um, on top of that you know I was, I was born legally blind so between my visual impairment and uh, being told that I was, was dumb you know I uh, I felt like all this stuff going on must have something to do with me so I, um, I had to make sense out of my life so I had it, I figured it out I was fairly young and I figured it out uh, God knew that I was bad so God made me legally blind to punish me and that was just you know I that was just why I had been born you know everybody has a job in life and mine was to be a burden to people and and I truly believe that and um, when I went to school you know it was it was difficult you know I was the only one that was visually impaired in the school and at recess when the kids would go out to play there were so many things like most of it that I couldn't participate in so I would stand by myself most of the time at the you know edge of the building hearing all the laughter of all the other kids playing and I felt so extremely lonely you know I just I just hurt and my childhood was pretty much like that were full of sadness, you know, loneliness, I felt like I didn't fit in, and um, I was not a real happy child. And then one night, it was in between my, I think, seventh and eighth grade or eighth and ninth grade, I'm not real sure, I went out with some kids, and we got a hold of some alcohol. And I had, I think, about seven glasses of uh, vodka. And I kinda got sick. <laughs> and I don't know how I got home that night, I can't quite remember, but somehow those friends got me home and, and you know, and got me to my house and I went to bed and I got up the next morning and oh, my head hurt and I felt awful. And the first thought that went through my mind was, God, I wanna do that again. <laughs> because alcohol did something to me from the very first time I drank, you know? Those of, those of us who are alcoholic know, you know, for the first time I fit in, for the first time I felt smart, for the first time I felt like I belonged, for the first time, you know, life didn't hurt, for the first time life felt good. And um, so I continued drinking, it made good sense to me. And um, most of my high school years were spent drinking, when I graduated from high school I graduated a hundred and fifty out of hundred and fifty two I was very proud of that there were two people that were dumber than I was
1: <laughs>
0: <sighs> so after I got out of high school you know I, I got married and had a I was twenty, and my husband at that time was nineteen, and we got married, and we had a little boy and a little girl. And um, for a while there, I didn't drink because I really you know we really didn't have the money to and and you know, and I wanted to do the mom thing and take care of the kids and and stuff, and I just I just didn't. And then my sister moved into town. at this time, I was living in in uh, Houston. And my sister moved into town, and she had just gone through a divorce, and I wanted to be a good sister, so I started going out with her. You know, she needed, she didn't know anyone in Houston, and she needed somebody. So we used to go to Mickey Gillies, and um, (laughs) several times a week. (laughs) And on Sunday night, they had beer bust, and you paid $5, I believe that was the price, and you could drink all the beer you wanted. I had arrived in heaven. I never knew how much I drank, you know. They just kept, kept filling it up, and, uh, and, and it was, it was a great time of my life. I, I know one time, um, they had uh, Johnny Paycheck was, 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 singing there. I think he sang uh, "Take This Job and Shove It," and um, he kind of took a fancy to my sister and invited her to come over to his motel room afterwards, and, and. course I had to tag along and and we sang all night long and and drank and um, I didn't get home that morning until probably about six seven in the morning and my husband says where have you been and I said I was singing with Johnny Paycheck (laughs) and he said yeah and I spent the night with Crystal Gale (laughs) anyway kinda let you know how old I am <laughs> anyway I um, I was having a good time you know I, I got my entertainment I was mom by day and and, and partied by night and life was, life was fun and then my sister had the nerve to get a life she started dating and um, she didn't want to go out anymore Well, you see, I couldn't drink. I couldn't go by myself. I really didn't have any friends, uh, at least the kind that I I liked, you know, the kind that wanted to drink with me. So from then on, my drinking took a turn, and most of my drinking was done at home alone. And um, we had moved to Humble, Texas, which is a little bit north of Houston, and my husband and I kind of had this deal going that before he left for work in the morning, that he would make sure that I had my supply of beer so that if he got home late that I could continue drinking and um, a couple of times he forgot to do that which made life real rough on me so I'd have to take my kids Uh, they were eight and five at the time I don't know somewhere around that age and um, we'd walk a mile and a half to the nearest convenience store, so I could get my beer and walk back home. At least I didn't leave them. But walking that floor didn't do me a bit of harm. That was good exercise. But it really wasn't fair for me to take those two kids to have to walk that floor to to get mama beer. But to see, I had crossed that fine line, and I needed that alcohol. I needed that alcohol to be okay. Mama had to have a beer, and that's that's how life was running at that time. You know, I heard inside. I had to have the alcohol, and I was dying. I was spiritually dying. My heart hurt. And uh, one day my daughter went into the hospital, and I thought, okay, I got to stop. You know, I got to be there for her, and I did. For five days I didn't drink any alcohol, and I was with her. Got out of the hospital and uh, stopped at a Mexican food place on the way home. And before I got home, I was drunk again. And I can, it was shortly after that that I got down on my knees and I said, God, change me or let me die. I don't want to live this way anymore. And I meant that from the bottom of my heart. And the next morning I got up and I called Alcoholics Anonymous. And they told me where the nearest meeting was. And it was about a mile and a half away, right next to that convenience store where I walked to get (laughs) to So I had passed this AA group many times and just didn't know what that building was. And I um, went to an AA meeting. I walked over there, went to the AA meeting. A girl at that meeting stole the big book and gave it to me. I am grateful we still have Feasts and Alcoholics Anonymous.
1: <laughs>
0: and they um, drove me home. Somebody from that meeting drove me home. The guy's name was Frank B. And um, when he drove me home, he, he said, Gay, he said, you need to learn how to swallow your pride instead of swallowing alcohol. And I spent years trying to figure out what that man was talking about. So I walked into the house, I opened up that big book and I started reading. And I went to the refrigerator and I got a beer and I started drinking. And the two don't mix well. So for the the next six months I drank and read the big book and I drank and read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you know I wasn't getting any healthier. I figured I must be doing something wrong here. So I remembered at that meeting they had talked about a 12-step call or something like that. So I figured that's it. That's what I did wrong. I didn't get someone to come over to my house and talk to me. That's that's the way this deal works. So I called AA again and I said, Can somebody come talk to me? I, I, I think I need help. So these two ladies came over to my house. And uh, I took them back into my bedroom and closed the door because I didn't want my kids to know I had an alcohol problem.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so these ladies, you know, sat with me on my bed, and one of them picked up my hand, and she was so soft, and she was so gentle, and she talked, she talked so kindly. And I told her, you know, I told her, I said, I have to drink. I'm in a bad marriage. And she patted my hand and she looked at me and she said, Bullshit. (laughs) And I told her I had to drink because I was legally blind and she said bullshit. I told her I had to drink because I was German and she said bullshit.
1: <laughs>
0: I told her I came up with every reason I could come up with and I was starting to get curious. If this wasn't why I was drinking, then why in the world was I drinking, you know? So finally when I ran out of every everything I could think of, she started telling me the two ladies started telling me about the disease of alcoholism. And they tell me the reason I was drinking was because I had a disease, and I didn't know that. And they invited me to come to AA, and I started attending AA meetings. I started going to three a day, and that first AA meeting, when I took my desire chip, and we sat in a circle and we held hands, and I. Uh, We said the Lord's Prayer. I was shaking so much. I was just sure the vibration was going around the circle and that that everybody could feel it. If it's for me, uh, bring the phone up. (laughs) God calls me from time to time. (laughs) So anyway, I was I was going to three meetings a day and, uh, but I didn't feel like I belonged. Because you see, I was different than the rest of you. You know, I couldn't see so good and, and I felt sorry for myself and I didn't know how to fit in and I was kind of shy and bashful and I didn't talk very much and y'all would go out to lunch and y'all would go do these things together and nobody was inviting me to go anywhere and I... I just didn't know whether I was really a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Plus, y'all had done some great things. I mean, y'all had been to jail and... I didn't have anything exciting to share. In fact, the only exciting story I could come up with was was one time when I was in high school and my friends let me drive from Fredericksburg to, to Austin. Drunk, legally blind, and behind the wheel of a car. It was so much fun. Anyway, I just you know that was that was it. That was the only exciting thing I knew how to knew to tell. And then one night, this guy, his name was Steve. And he was sitting there, and he had done it all. I mean, his story was so colorful. And he had done it all. And um, one night he turned and he said, You know, I feel exactly the way Gay feels. That there is no difference between us. We both hurt from the same disease of alcoholism, and we both have the same solution. And for the first time, I felt a part of Alcoholics Anonymous. And one wise guy at that meeting said, Gay, I want you to stand at the door before the meeting and after the meeting and say hi to every person that walks in and every person that leaves. And within, you know, a week of doing that, I started knowing y'all's names and you knew mine. And I started feeling like part of Alcoholics Anonymous. When I was, um... When I was, um... About a year sober, something like that, a little over a year sober, I went through a divorce. We'd been married 16 years at this time and it was the hardest thing that I went through in sobriety. Um, Here I was with two small kids, no job skills, no money, no way to support myself. And I was scared, but y'all taught me how to depend on a power greater than myself. that could form miracles, that could perform miracles in my life. Y'all taught me how to trust in God. And I went to the Commission for the blind and they had a program to help blind people become self employed. I uh, guess I'll explain a little bit about my vision. My visual acuity is 20 over 200, which kind of means, sort of means, if I stood 20 feet from an object and you stood 200 feet from an object, we'd see it about the same. In addition to that, I'm extremely sensitive to lights. In addition to that, I'm colorblind. And um, so I can see to walk around and to, you know, to do things like that. If I want to try to read something, I have to hold it real close and for some reason, they won't give me a driver's license. (laughs) I I tried one time, but they said they preferred that people be able to read the signs. (laughs) So I kind of gave up on that, because I was drinking at the time I asked. (laughs) Anyway, they had this program to help uh, blind people become self-employed, and um, I wanted to, to get involved in that program. Or at least I heard about it, and uh, but I wasn't sure, you know, what to do. Um, when I when I left this marriage, I uh, told you, you know, it was the hardest decision I had ever made because I couldn't accept the marriage the way it was, and I couldn't change it. And I couldn't accept it, and I couldn't change it, and I couldn't find any serenity. And finally, you know, I uh, I kept getting sicker and sicker. And I finally ended up in a psychiatric hospital with a year and a half or so of sobriety, um, suffering from depression. And uh, it was in that psychiatric hospital that I finally made the decision to leave the marriage. And I was there for 17 days, and we had AA meetings. And uh, we had, you know, y'all, it was the most wonderful experience of my life. If any of y'all need a break just go to psychiatric hospital <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was on a seventeen day AA retreat and it, it was it was a safe place for me to be and it was a place that gave me the, the courage to to change the thing I could and I, I decided to leave that ma- marriage uh, a lady, a counselor from the commission for the blind picked me up and took me to pub- public housing for blind people and uh, I started the paperwork in the process of getting accepted into that program that helped uh, you know blind people become self-employed. And uh, living in that public housing for blind people was quite an experience for me because I had never really been around any other visually impaired people. And I um, you know it was just new for me. It taught me a whole lot about my my own visual impairment. But the day I got out that psychiatric hospital I was hurting. I had been picked up and taken to this public housing for blind people. I was scared. I didn't know how I was going to take care of myself, as I told you. And um, I still had all those feelings of, you know, that I am, I'm dumb and, and, and unworthy and yep, y'all have been telling me about this God that loves me too and so I decided I would better go meet some of the other people in this little complex you know and so because I could hear them laughing outside my apartment and I figured sitting there crying wasn't gonna do me any good so I got out and I started trying to meet some of those people and every person I saw was drinking alcohol and um, I had only lived in this place three hours and I already found the alcohol so I decided what I need is an AA meeting So I picked up the phone and I called um, the nearest, found out where the nearest AA meeting was, next, you know, close to that public housing for blind people. I called that club and I said, my name is Gay Nimitz and I need a ride to a meeting. Is there anyone there that would be willing to pick me up? And uh, the person on the phone said, hey, Zach, somebody needs a ride to a meeting. Hey, Susan. Hey, Mary. Hey, Bill. There wasn't one person there that night that was willing to give me a ride to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I hurt. They were nice enough to tell me how to get there by bus. So I walked a couple of blocks and got on the wrong bus going the wrong direction. It took me several hours to get back to that public housing for blind people, and I never did make it to a meeting that night. But, you know, they tell us in this program, you know, come that time when you need a relationship with God, because that's absolutely all you'll have to rely on. And God was there for me that night. The next day, somebody from Humboldt that that knew me drove over to where the public housing was and showed me how to get to a meeting and took me over there. and, And people, you know, met me. And after that, people were willing to pick me up and take me to meetings. And... And I was very grateful for that. I um, finished doing the deal to get to get qualified to be in this program. You know, that helps blind people become self-employed. And I um, was given a facility in San Antonio. And uh, most of the facilities they have are on public and state property, but they do have some in the private sector. And this one was like that. It was a it was an industrial plant and uh, they had three hundred employees and I ran the coffee shop and I had two employees working for me and I went through three months of training and three months of training didn't seem like a whole lot but but I I I did it you know I did it Uh, I I bid on it and was awarded that facility Uh, up to this point you know I was was, wanna back up and tell you a little bit more about the the public housing for blind people. There's there's parts of that story that I that I left out because it was at that that place that the promises started coming true for me. There was a couple of people there, almost everyone there had vision that was worse than mine because I was just on the borderline of being legally blind and, you know, there was some there that were totally blind and uh, I could I could see better than most of them, so that was quite a unique experience for me. And um, there was a couple there that they hadn't been there very long, two ladies that really stood out in my mind, one was named Elsie and one was named Nancy. And uh, Elsie would call me up and she'd say, Gay, I want some Bluebell ice cream, will you take me? And I said, sure Elsie, we can go. And I, she'd hold on to my arm and we'd walk a couple of blocks to the nearest store and she'd get a Bluebell ice cream. And, and I was doing service work, you know. I was, I was doing something for somebody else and the promises were coming true for me. That feeling of uselessness and self, self-pity would disappear. And uh, there was another girl there by the name of Nancy. Nancy would also call me up and she'd say, Gay, can you take me on a beer run? <laughs> And I said, yeah, Nancy, I'll take you on a beer run because y'all told me that no one's going to stop drinking until they're ready to stop drinking, you know. So she'd hold on to my arm and we'd walked a couple of blocks to the store so that she could get her beer and and, and walk back. And as we were walking, I had the opportunity to tell her about Alcoholics Anonymous. She couldn't get away from me. Nancy also told me a few things that were interesting. One day when, when we were walking, I asked her, I said, Nancy, how did you lose your vision? And she said that when she was a little girl, she was sitting in a height chair, and her mom took a fork and stuck it in her eye. And the next day she had a different story, and the next day she had a different story. She had more stories about why she was blind, and I never did figure out what was the truth. But like I said, being around the visually impaired people was so good for me. I just never had, you know, uh, had that opportunity, and I learned so much about being me. And, you know, it really taught me about, or it reminded me of a story I heard when I first, you know, came into AA that someone had shared with me. And they talked about an old man and a young man that were by this corral. A lot of you probably already heard this story, but I love telling it anyway because it meant a lot to me. And, and the the horses in the corral, the gate got open and all the horses ran away. And the young man looked at the old man and said, this is a bad day. And the old man said, we'll see. And a few days later they came back and they bought a beautiful stallion with them. And the young man said, this is a good day. And the old man said, we'll see. And the young man decided he was gonna try to break this small stallion and uh, he fell off and broke his leg. And he said, this is a bad day. And the old man said, we'll see. And a few days later, war broke out and they came by to get him and he couldn't go because his leg was broken. And he said, this is a good day. And the old man said, we'll see. And you know, being in that public housing for blind people turned out to be a good day for me. Being in that psychiatric hospital turned out to be a good day for me. You know, even even not getting a ride to AA that night turned out to be a good day in me, for me because I, I was realizing that I was dependent on God and trusting God with my life. And um, it taught me not to judge my life because I really don't know a good day uh, from a bad day. Uh, of myself, I don't know a miracle from a tragedy. Miracle from a tragedy. Anyway, I finally ended up in San Antonio working at this coffee shop, and I had two employees working for me, and it was my first day of work, and, you know, it was kind of scary. And uh, I made it through that day. The second day I went to, to work, one of the cooks didn't show up, so, so you know, this was really, really uh, a challenge for me. I was, walk, I was living about uh, a mile away, and I had the two, my two kids living with me. I was walking down a, a stretch of road that was pretty dark at 6.30 in the morning, carrying $200 of opening cash, scared to death, and thanking God for this opportunity at the same time, and taking one more step through my fear, knowing that somehow this would all work out and somehow God would take care of me. and. Um, I think it was that second day of work, uh, one of the ladies came in that, from the food company, you know, to take my order to see what I needed, and I didn't have a clue. I hadn't been there long enough to really know what I needed. So she started opening up my refrigerators, my freezers, my cabinets, and started placing an order based on what the, manager, the previous manager had ordered. And we sat down, and she was going over the list and showing me what I needed, and I don't know how we got on the subject. But that lady was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And she started picking me up and taking me to AA meetings and she became my sponsor. Everything I have ever needed, God provides. And that y'all have taught me by working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You have taught me that there is a power greater than myself that can perform miracles in my life. And on that I've come to depend And uh, my kids were older by this time. Years have gone by. And uh, my son had graduated from high school and was going to go to college. And I thought, you know, I'd like to go too. But you know, I knew I was dumb because I had graduated 150 out of 152 and my grades were never very good. But y'all tell me, with God, anything, absolutely anything is possible. So much to my shock, they accepted me and I started, I started you know, school at, at, at UTSA in San Antonio and much to my amazement, you know, I did rather well. I had a talking calculator to use for statistics. I had a little handheld telescope that would help me see off the board. I had um, what we call a CCTV where you put the print underneath and it comes out on a monitor and where you know you can get it in larger print the size you need and the most difficult class I think I took was statistics because I'd have to keep switching visual aids to try to accumulate all the different information that was flying around me at the same time but I uh, by the grace of God you know last May I graduated magna cum laude (laughs) me God can't perform miracles in our lives. I um, married also, I married one of my uh, customers at that uh, coffee shop. <laughs> God has all sorts of divine appointments set up for him. And he's absolutely a wonderful man, uh, not every morning, but almost every morning of our marriage, and we've been married eleven years. He'll turn over in the morning and say good morning, beautiful lady. I didn't know I was worthy of love the people of Alcoholics Anonymous taught me that and I'm so grateful to this program one of the hardest things for me to uh, to do even today is to realize that God's going to let me know things on a need to know basis I always want the information and my whole life planned out now (laughs) but to wait and to get the information I need, you know, when God's ready to give it to me, is 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 amazing you know, to me. My relationship with my, my parents today is absolutely wonderful and my dad and I are, are very close. There wasn't anybody that was that clapped louder when when I graduated. You know, he's been a real support to me. In fact we were here in Austin a week ago at uh the heart hospital of Austin and he's doing fine he's back home and he's doing fine and my, pa- my parents are absolutely amazing my mom is dealing with macular degeneration and uh, she's losing a lot of her vision and the two of them are amazing they're 80 and 83 years old and they've been through so much from the loss of that child to a handicapped daughter to you know losing their own parents and the normal uh, financial struggles of life they've gone through it all with such faith you know with such faith in god and and I, when i got to alcoholics anonymous if you had asked me i would have wouldn't have talked real nice about either one of them because you see i was so selfish and self-centered and, and so used to looking at myself that i just didn't see the the wonderful things that they had given and done. Y'all taught me a new way to see. Y'all gave me a new attitude. You gave me a new appreciation for life. Uh, Today I have a wonderful relationship with both of my children. My son, you know, shares with me so much about his life. We were driving not too long ago and he was going down the list of all his friends. Most of them happen to be school teachers. He's not, but most of his friends are. And he was telling me how much they drank and and you know what they liked to do and who partied the most and what kind of marriages they had and you know when he was going through the drunkologs of all his friends i said toby why don't you just send your friends on over to me and he, and he said mom i wouldn't have any left <laughs> and my daughter we were we were driving the other day um and um she was telling me about a friend of hers who was hurting and in a lot of pain and was thinking about seeing a counselor. And my daughter said, just go talk to my mom. You know, that's just not how life would be if I was still out there drinking. I also have a beautiful two and a half year old granddaughter who's just, just warms my heart. Uh, her name is Jordan. And the other day, she called me Gigi. And the other day, I went to pick her up from her her daycare. Well, actually, my husband was doing the (laughs) drive-in. But we went to get her, and uh, and she ran over to me, and she jumped, and she said, Gigi, missed you. And it just warmed my heart. Those are the gifts of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Her mom told me that that when she gets mad at her parents, you know, her mom, she'll say, I want to go to Gigi's house she's two and a half and already thinking about running away from home (laughs) (laughs) i am um so grateful that the program of alcoholics anonymous is is inclusive never exclusive i'm so glad that the hand is out for all of us to be part of alcoholics anonymous i had the opportunity of of attending a um, a workshop for special needs, and they talked about mothers who have who have uh, small children and don't ha- can't afford a daycare, and sometimes they go to meetings and they kind of you know like they're not supposed to be here with that little one. but that's the only way they're going to hear the message, especially in early sobriety. and people that you know just got out of prison. and one lady was had a Polish accent, and she talked about no one would call on her because they couldn't understand what she said. and and they wouldn't they wouldn't listen to her because they had trouble hearing her and she wanted to be part of Alcoholics Anonymous and it just the whole workshop was just to to elevate our awareness so that we always keep AA inclusive and here for everybody to to be a part of and to to get this message of recovery, of hope, of of miracles happening in in our lives. I um I had an experience. I, I spoke at a conference, you know, not uh, last month, and I was sharing the story about when I was in school and I was, you know, taking a science class that we were studying the brain, and the professor got us to go to the store to buy some brains so that we could, you know, analyze it. So when I went down to the store, I, uh, I asked, you know. I wanted needs to buy an ounce of brain.
1: And,
0: <laughs> and he said, well, what kind do you want? Well, I didn't know there was different kinds of brain. He said, oh, yeah. He said, we've got a doctor's brain here, and it's $500. And we've got a lawyer's brain here, and it's $1,000. And we got some brain from an alcoholic, and it's $25,000. And I said, why is the brain of an alcoholic so expensive? And they said, well, it's never been used.
1: <laughs>
0: anyway, I shared that at, at this conference, and afterwards, somebody came up to me and asked me if that was a true
1: story. <laughs> I
0: told them, absolutely true. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just I, I thought but you know Alcoholics Anonymous has taught us to laugh taught us to enjoy life you know we absolutely insist on having a great time with life and enjoying the abundance that that God has given me that was one of the hardest things that that I had to learn in Alcoholics Anonymous was to let life be good you know to accept the miracles that God has planned for my life and to enjoy them one day when I was um, attending a Saturday morning women's meeting, one of the ladies that I sponsor gave me a ride home and uh, she had this packet of information and I thought, oh here we go again. And she handed it to me and she said, Gay, I want you to write your story and send it in to um, intergroup. Here's the address, here's how long it needs to be, here's all the information, it needs to be turned in by tomorrow. <laughs> and um, and and do that. So when I got home that afternoon, my my husband and my son were deer hunting, and I thought, okay, I think that doing sometimes it's good for us to go through our stories again. So I wrote, wrote it, sat down, did not reread it, did not edit it, did not just type it, stuck it in the envelope, and put it in the mail. And three and a half years later, I get a letter that says. Uh, the fourth edition of of the book of Alcoholics Anonymous has been improved and my story would be included in that book and I was absolutely shocked You know, I was told early in the program that because of what I've been through exactly the way that I've been through it that I'd be able to touch lives that nobody else could touch and that's true of each one of you because of what you've been through exactly the way you've been through it you're going to be able to touch lives that nobody else can touch you know and that's the miracle of this program I'm a strong believer in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous I'm a strong believer in working the steps I think the best sponsors are sponsors that have sponsors my sponsor tells me that I am a shining star among shining stars and I like that I like to be a shining star among shining stars. I heard um, about somebody that when they first came to Alcoholics Anonymous, they just didn't get it. You know, they just didn't get the program of recovery. So they decided they were going to strike out and look for wisdom, and look for happiness, and look for all those things that that uh, that would make them feel okay. So they searched. You know, one person would leave it, leave them, to another person and one country would lead them to another country and they just followed this wild goose chase of going from place to place looking for the answers of life and finally after an exhaustive journey they ended up on the top of a mountain talking to this guy who was supposed to have the wisdom and, and to know the meaning and the true joy of living and he finally went up to him and he said you know I've, I've searched for you for the last two years he said please Please tell me about the wisdom of life. And the guy looked at him and he said, Read your good books. Go to meetings. And work the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I uh, I spoke at a conference in Bastrop, and and some of y'all may have been been there, and I heard something at that conference I had never heard before, and if you are the author of this statement, please come and let me know. But somebody shared there that AA was like an RG, that when you leave, you feel better, but you don't know who's responsible. (laughs) am so honored. <laughs> somebody just got it. <laughs> I am so honored to be here with you today. I'm so honored to be able to share my story with you, my story of miracles. I um, I read in I don't know if it was Bill sees it or, or one of the AA books that um, somebody walked up to Bill and said. Wow, you're such a great speaker, and you're such—you know—you did such a great job. And Bill looked at him and said, "Pass it on." And that's what we do—one alcoholic talking to another. We just keep passing on this message of of hope and recovery. Thank you all for letting me share with you.